This is Emerging Possibilities, powered by Volvo Group Australia. Here we talk to industry experts about the future of mobility and how it will shape both our lives and the world we live in. Hi and welcome to the next instalment of our Emerging Possibilities podcast. I'm Matt Wood and I'm joined by my colleague Paul Ilmer, Vice President of Emerging Technology Business Development for Volvo Group Australia. Our guest today on the show is Dr. Jake Whitehead, Head of Policy for the Electric Vehicle Council. Thanks for joining us, Jake. Now, I'm going to put aside my resentment at having the most boring job title in the room and uh, throw the first uh, question over to Paul. So if you cast your mind, Jake, back to when you first got involved in electromobility, electric vehicles, what what was kind of the first interest? Like what, what really piqued your interest to get into this field? That's one question. Second question, did you envisage that it would turn into what it's turned into today? Yeah, so I, I'd like to say that uh, I had a crystal ball and I could see, you know, how how quickly these things evolved. Uh, but um, uh, at that time, uh, it was more an interest in something that was exciting, a very, very new novel technology and getting an idea of at that point in time, you know, 10, 15 years ago, how realistic was it that this could become mainstream? So as we know now, we, we've come quite a long way. But at that point in time, there was still a lot of uh, uncertainty. So that was really my drive at the time. And, and you know, I have always had a bit of a, a passion for environmental issues as well. So this idea of looking at technologies that can help us to reduce emissions is is a real driver of mine. It's, it's a big reason why I volunteered, you know, the last three years of my life working um, with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change as one of the lead authors on the transport chapter. An amazing exercise with uh, more than 50 authors around the world, giving their time as volunteers to to try to put forward evidence-based solutions to make uh, this this shift towards a net zero transport system and more broadly, a net zero economy. Is there a fascination for things that move? Like, I mean, you know, to become involved in transit, transport or whatever, like we speak to people that are moving stuff every day, right? So what's the interest in that? I suppose I, sometimes I basically say I like things with wheels, but it's not just about that, is it? Is there's, there's something about that movement that we tend to get drawn into. Yeah, I think, well, to begin with, I've always been a little bit of a, a car nut. I've loved my cars and I've, I've had my petrol, my fossil fuel uh, cars and enjoyed that part of my life, uh, definitely. So I think it was no surprise to anyone that knew me or my family that I would end up in the space related to transport or mobility. Uh, but more broadly, I think, maybe it's a little bit philosophical, but this idea that every single one of us, every day when we wake up, has to make a decision about how we get from A to B. And beyond that, you know, how our food gets from A to B to C, how our children get from A to B, all of these different decisions. And it occurred to me that if I could work in a space where I had the opportunity to hopefully influence those decisions, it might have some longer lasting and and broader impacts in terms of thinking about how people live their lives more generally beyond transport and what we can all do to help uh, live a more sustainable lifestyle. Now, that's not to say all the responsibility is on us as individuals, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice exercise to go through to reflect on how you live your life and what other things you, you could do into the future that uh, still bring you happiness and joy, but they might be a little bit different to what you're used to. 
Well, I'm going to have to plead guilty to stalking you on LinkedIn. And I did say that you've been um, traveling a little bit lately and uh, very much uh, a lot of EV road tripping going on there. And from my point of view, having had that recent experience, I mean, how how do we compare now? Well, where is Australia at in that journey compared to some of those places you've been? And I mean, you feel free to tell us about some of the places you have been because that gives some good context. Yeah. So I think, you know, I can uh, preface it by saying I've been very fortunate. I, I've traveled a lot. I think I'm, you know, up to over 50 countries now on my uh, passport list, have a very poor carbon footprint that I'm slowly trying to pay off. But that's given me that opportunity to see how things, particularly transport, are planned and implemented in many different parts around the world. And, uh, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, sub-Saharan Africa to wealthy uh, countries in, in Europe and North America. So, there are some pretty significant differences there. And I think on this recent trip from a month ago, it was interesting because I hadn't traveled for about five years, like so many people. The last few years have been a bit of a blur. And it was just incredible how big a difference there was in these markets in just five years' time. So, whereas five years ago, I feel things were uh, kind of similar to what we see in Australia, where some of these ideas are a bit more formative. Maybe they were a bit more certain in their policy direction, but uh, from a consumer's perspective, they weren't necessarily all the viable options to choose, particularly, you know, let's say electric cars. Now, today, the idea of an electric car is not really anything special. You know, it was me uh, when I was catching up with friends or even just talking to people that we would meet and I would say, you know, oh, you've got an electric car. You know, I work in electric cars, da-da-da-da-da. And they're like, yeah, like, mm. so what? You know, like it wasn't really this kind of big special thing to them. And that was, you know, a nice thing actually to hear this idea that, okay, not everyone has an electric car around the world. We still have a long way to go, but the concept of owning electric vehicles, seeing things like electric cars, trucks, buses is not uh, completely novel and is becoming, you know, much, much more commonplace. And even with our own eyes driving around these countries, you could see EVs all the time. It wasn't kind of having to <laughs> keep an eye out, where's the EV? It was just EV, EV, EV. <laughs> so it is like the uh, conversation is sort of normalising a little bit. And I suppose it's interesting actually having you, Paul, in this conversation as well, because you've kind of been occupying a similar kind of space in the conversation in terms of having early conversations with people and especially uh, probably in road transport, it can be quite a parochial, almost myopic view of like, you know, yeah, that'll never work here. Like we're, we're just so good at that. I mean, what have your experiences been along the way, along that journey? Because it's kind of you've been on a pretty parallel kind of path. Yeah, look, it, it, it's a great question. It's been really interesting. I mean, I remember when I first started, when I took responsibility for electric trucks within the Volvo group here in Australia, there was a bit of a narrative, I think, around good luck, you know, with your electric trucks and, and uh, you know, kind of almost questions about, you know, why I'd sort of decided to have a go at launching that in Australia. And I think... Um, but for me, the proof was always going to, going to be getting the trucks into a couple of customers' hands. I, and it may have been blind faith, but I always had a really high degree of confidence and optimism that with the vehicles, although designed and engineered for Europe, I just, I, I just had faith that within the Volvo group, they would work here. Probably what I wasn't prepared for was how well they would work here and the fact that the implementations were 
so seamless. They were just completely vanilla in a way where there was just no issues. And I think, I think the success of those trials, and I think when you can get customers to actually experience an electric vehicle to look at the number one from an ESG perspective, when they can actually, you know, look at what they're they're able to achieve from a carbon emissions perspective, but then also for driver attraction and driver attention, where drivers are so hard to get, you know, you put them into an electric truck and it's hard to 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 get them out of it. And I think where we've sort of come then over that four year period is then starting to I don't think we're anywhere near having electric trucks socialized and normalized as being mainstream you know within the group in Australia but I think what we have done and 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 now that we've got the dealers integrated now into the electric ecosystem is kind of showing that as, as you said Jake they don't need to be something different and novel you just have to you just have to start and 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 I think then the technology is so compelling that it almost breaks the inertia by itself, just from the operational perspective, the driver feedback, and and you know, and I think for us in the Volvo Group, we're going to launch the electric heavy duty range next year. I expect the same thing, and I guess as you know, Matt, the feedback has just been so resoundingly positive that that I, I think. I mean, where we are today, we didn't expect to be, you know, we, we, we didn't have, we didn't expect to have the interest in the uptake now until probably two years time. So, which is fantastic. And I think it's a good lead in actually to the Electric Vehicle Council. And I remember when we joined the EVC, for example, kind of like, so what's this all about? You know, kind of members of other associations. And it really then opened our eyes, I think, to then the requirement for policy work and to kind of get that narrative out there that electric cars, electric trucks, electric buses, they're available now. You know, we, when, we're not waiting for anything. They're not, they're not on the horizon. They're not on the doorstep. They're not around the corner. They're, they're here now. And with that, I'd like to ask Jake a question actually around Bay had it on, on the podcast. But in your words, you know, with you joining the EVC, what, what was the motivation behind that? And what's your main, I guess, aspirations from where you'd like to see your responsibility, the outcomes that you'd like to achieve maybe in the next sort of three to four years? Great question. I, I've known Behard for many, many years. We've, we've worked together in our, our different roles and um, I've always admired the, you know, just the amazing advocacy work that he's been doing in this space. And the tenacity. Yeah, uh, a very tenacious mm. individual Some and, and, and you know, the, the outcomes speak for themselves in terms of mm. what he's been able mm. to deliver. And, uh, yeah, we, we were having a conversation late last year and, and talking through what were kind of the next steps on the horizon for the EV industry more broadly in Australia. And uh, we just started to think, well, you know, we work quite well together. Maybe there's an opportunity to bring me on board uh, the EV Council and uh, help to uh, expand the capacity because I think that's the thing. The EVC has been a very lean run machine for many years and, and punched above its weight. We're now at the point where things are expanding at such a scale, you, you also need to grow as an organisation. And so we're in a very fortunate position to have some great supporting members that enable us to do that. Uh, and, and we're now embarking on that uh, ability to, to grow our capacity and, and build out a much broader portfolio of policy positions that we can advocate for. So uh, for me, I saw it as, as an opportune time and, and really you know, without being too dark and depressing, uh, the time 
for action. Mm-hmm. I felt that uh, now and the immediate, you know, five to ten years is when we need to be uh, making some significant changes in the way that we run our transport system. It's not to downplay how significant that change is and, and all of the various considerations that go into it for operators and, and owners and consumers. But the reality is, uh, you know, from my experience uh, over the past three years being on the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, we just don't have that time to waste anymore. And governments need to come to the party and understand how they can support this transition. And it doesn't have to be a net economic loss either. I think this is the thing that's often um, lost in the debate and the discussion, particularly when we talk uh, around investing in charging infrastructure or giving incentives. There's this notion that that money is lost. But this money is an investment in the future of an increased productivity in our entire transport Mm. system. Because as you would know, Paul, with an electric drivetrain, you're talking about a much more efficient way of being able to move goods and people at a far lower cost to what we're talking about. And this is a big risk for Australia as well, I think, that we haven't necessarily quite clocked onto yet, that we have all of these partners around the world that are making this shift. And they're soon going to be in a position where their operating costs are 70, 80, 90% cheaper than what it costs us to move things. This is where we need to be able to make sure we're keeping pace with that change so that we can remain competitive. And it's not just going to happen by itself. If we had 100 years, maybe, you know, it would organically occur. But Mm. we've got a fairly tight deadline in which that transition has to happen. And that's where government has a key role to play. So I'd like to hope that Mm. um, I'll have, with the support of our great members and the great team at the Electric Vehicle Council, that opportunity to work collaboratively with state, territory, federal and local governments on actions that can be an investment today in a much more productive and efficient transport system in the future. That's really interesting. And, and, and we had a talk before the podcast around the recent summit in Canberra, and I was expressing to you that the energy in the room, just the goodwill, it kind of felt like during that whole day that we were really starting to get towards a tipping point. But do you think there's weight and validity behind that? Like, is it, is it just good intention or, or do you kind of feel that we are at the point now with a change of government, with bodies like the Electric Vehicle Council, do you, do you think we are at the point where we can actually make a difference and see a material change in policy to then support electric vehicles? Yeah, well, I think the real difference is we are now having a discussion about a national strategy and a national approach for the past decade. This has very much been played out as a partisan issue. But in fact, when you look across state and territory governments, you have all colours in terms of your political spectrum supporting this change. In fact, you could argue New South Wales coalition government has been leading the pack in many ways and doing some really excellent things to support this transition. Always room for improvement, of course, but in the absence of that national leadership, really putting in uh, a fair amount of effort to try to do what they could 
at a state level. So I think genuinely now with this change of a federal government uh, coming into the EV summit, there's a lot more energy and focus around how can we work together collectively as a nation? Because without you know exaggerating the point, this is a nation building exercise. This is really a transformation that requires governments to work together. Cheap political scores are not what we need right now. And, you know, I would hope as well that the federal opposition would be coming to a point where they can also uh, feed in a, a constructive input into what we need uh, for this transition. Right across the world, we see governments that are conservative as well as progressive supporting this change. So it need not be uh, this kind of political football that we've seen over several elections now. Uh, and I hope that this really is a turning corner. Certainly, if the feedback we've been hearing from general public, stakeholders and, and governments themselves is to be believed, I, I do think we have turned a corner in terms of this discussion. And it's now the focus around, okay, this is no longer kind of the boogeyman that's going to take away my weekend. I want to get in this technology. I, I want to be able to make the shift. How can I get the support and plan for that change for you know my home or my business? I think the nation building is a really important point. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned to you that, you know, within the Volvo Group, we currently import our electric trucks, but we have a project to then build them here in Brisbane. And, and, and our ambition then actually is for Brisbane to be, I guess, the, the EV you know, local design and sort of manufacturing hub of Australia. And we have an existing footprint. It's been there since 1972. And I think the thing that, you know, we we talk about myself and Matt and, and Tim as well is, you know, imagine when we can start doing that. And it's not too far off when all of a sudden you've got the our circular responsibility on batteries where we then have them in mobility for seven years, roughly. We take them out. We then prepare them for stationary energy to be able to then support schools and hospitals and things like that. So, you know, you talk about nation building. I, I, I think it's really important for the government, state and federal, to understand that there is a significant opportunity on our doorstep around that. And I know within, I can only talk for Volvo Group, but we can, for example, sequence electric trucks on the production line behind a diesel truck. Like we, we don't need a second production line. So I think, you know, when we can have those trucks Australian made, where we can create more jobs out of that, I think is going to be, it'll be a real sort of defining moment, I think, in the term that we use for it sometimes when we're talking to the dealers is it's a once in a career. You know, we, we've seen yeah. shifts, as you know, Matt, from Euro 3 to Euro yeah. 4 to Euro 5. But this shift, I, I, I think, is the most significant. Certainly, you know, I've been with the Volvo Group for 19 years. You, you've been in the industry forever. We've seen nothing like this, and I don't think that we, we ever will see again. I think it's a fascinating time to be around. Like, I love the topic. Um, I'm a petrol head from way back as well, so, like, uh, and all that sort of thing. But I think um, I think that nation-building side of things is uh, is a really good point. And if you look back at sort of the significant, you know, significant sort of even infrastructure events that have, or projects that have taken place in Australia's history and stuff like that, and I mean, we're not talking anything as that grandiose right now, but it's 
bits and pieces like, you know, local manufacturing, that factory is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, for example, and there's been a commitment made to expand and keep going. And um, yeah, I just think it's a fascinating time to be involved with it. But I feel like, um, and probably the electric car side of things is, is fed into with, with moving from a uh, an awareness like kind of phase to more of an advocacy phase now. There's people that's like, Bob bought one and he's still buying it and raves about it. Mm. Hey, Bob, what's it like? You know, and I think what the the truck side of things is probably a little bit behind that, mm. but I think it's going to catch up really quickly. It's a it's a fascinating time mm. to be talking mm. about it. Yeah. And it, it's super exciting, right? This yes, is this is, is, is just great opportunity for Australia because we have a real question in front of us as a country right now about what our future economy looks like. Mm-hmm. We have relied on certain resources, you know, disproportionately uh, to to give us this, you know, prosperous life that we have. Mm-hmm. And we really need to now be thinking about, well, wh- what's next for the country? And this is where it is a, a once in a career or once in, you know, a generation opportunity to, to make the change. And it's that full supply chain. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we are producing trucks already in this country, you know, right here mm-hmm. in Queensland. And there's no reason why we can't make that transition to electrify if we don't have a you know national discussion and collaboration across those state, territory, and federal mm-hmm. governments uh, to make it happen. I think um, just on a, another note too is it's not like the technology itself is boring to use. Like it would be over ten years ago, I, I drove a spark ignition CNG vehicle, right? And I jumped in it. And I went, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, well that's fun, not like slow as a wet week, you know, felt like a compromise, all that sort of stuff. You drive, you hop in an electric vehicle. I had a colleague uh, in Finland the other day um, talking about like he hops back in there with a, a diesel product and goes, I feel like I'm driving a steam train, you know, because uh, he's been spending a lot of time in a heavy duty electric, you know, yep. and I think it, it's not like it's a, this is the sacrifice we have to make to, you know, it. it's actually good. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. There's there's so many benefits that come out of it, even beyond when you just kind of start to look at the, the future economics, but that driving experience. And, it, you know, that seems to be quite widespread overseas now when people are talking about, you know, whether it's the, the driver of the electric bus in the city or starting to now get into, you know, electric trucks in, in delivery operations and beyond, this idea that, yeah, actually it's a much better experience, less fatigue, and, yeah, actually, quite quite good performance. I, I must admit, I was fortunate enough, you know, a little while back, uh, Tim has given me a, a test drive in, in a, a Volvo electric truck. And yeah, it's just, um, it, it's unbelievable that transition from then when you're in a diesel bus and you know, you're kind of yeah. back and forth in the gears and all of these things. It's just night and day. And look, again, this is not dismissing that there are some genuine challenges here that have to be overcome. So I don't want to kind of come across mm-hmm. as, as as dismissing that. I, I think there are some things that we need to work through. But as you outlined, Paul, this isn't uh, a matter of the technology, you know, coming in the future or being around the corner. It's here today and it's very, very feasible to see in the near future it actually being an economic choice for many uh, deployments. So that makes a really nice segue into what we were talking about earlier, which was the recently released uh, Grattan Truck Report. Uh, it helps if I can actually speak properly. So I'll say that again, the Grattan Truck Report. What 
is your takeout from that? Um, I think we've all went like, wow, there's some strong language in there, but do we philosophically disagree with it? I mean, I, I think that it raises some really good points. Yeah, look, in in the first instance, I'm, I'm really excited to see that this is becoming a much more widespread and common topic, particularly whether it's in think tanks, out of universities, out of industry, and even out of government. It's been a long time coming. So certainly welcome that attention. It's a fascinating subject, especially when it comes to the age of the heavy vehicle fleet in Australia. I mean, I'm sure you'll back me up on this, Paul. We have to be careful about how we talk about it, as we often get accused of just just wanting to sell more trucks. It's more, what does that look like? I feel like this conversation is going to reach a tipping point. Do you agree? I think we only again need to look overseas and see that you have now literally hundreds of metropolitan areas that have introduced emission zones. And that's not necessarily a complete ban. That could be a levy that increases over time, depending on what the emissions level are of the vehicle. And it's not necessarily targeting trucks either. This is, again, a much broader discussion around transport in general, the impact on health and, and what you can do. But it has to be done in a realistic time frame. And as I said, it's critical that it's done in tandem with introducing support mechanisms to allow people to make that transition. But, you know, I think that whilst it it can seem like quite a scary concept, uh, I I do think that um, it's not out of the picture that in the next decade, we will have to come to a point where we do have some restrictions on the types of polluting vehicles that are in those densely populated areas. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really interesting report. I think the challenge is with kind of the tagline, you know, trucks are hard to love. I, I, I kind of, as somebody who's been in the industry for a while, you, you, you immediately think, well, they were pretty easy to love during the pandemic when we were putting toilet paper on the shelves. Transport was an essential service. So at the same time, when I emotionally moved beyond that and I had a look at the report, yeah, there was, there was certainly some, some interesting points in there. I want to ask Jake another question. This is a question, Jake, I get asked weekly or every time typically I present to a conference or a body of customers and that is what do we do about the energy grid and the charging infrastructure? So for example, customer purchases 30 electric Volvo trucks, he's decided that his charging window then has a requirement to fast charge at 100 kilowatts or 150 kilowatts. They all need to plug in at about 5.30 p.m. How do you solve that and not black out the suburb? So really interested in your you know, in your comments around that. Yeah, and uh, I think this is a, a legitimate question and something that we're hearing a lot right across this idea of electrification. So on the first kind of concept, the, the way I explain this to people is that because electric vehicles are so much more efficient than our internal combustion engines, they require a lot less energy to actually drive. So we could transition the entire road fleet in Australia, and that would probably require something in the order of a 30 to 40% in the total amount of electricity that we generate. But the reality is this is going to be over a number of decades. So that's something that we can quite easily accommodate. So the total amount of power is not so much of an issue. And and I think that you know we should not be aiming for 100% renewable energy. You know, in this country, we should be aiming for five, six, seven hundred percent renewable energy if we really want to be that superpower exporting. So this side of things is is not a concern. Where it does obviously then start to um, become somewhat challenging is 
the charging coinciding with each other mm-hmm. and aggregating in the same areas. That's where there is a genuine concern from grids about how to manage that. And I think to date, much of the discussion or the expectation has been that the burden would fall on the operator side of the ledger in terms of making that investment. But I think we do start to have a national discussion around, well, if we're going to make this transition, how do we actually support that more broadly? Because we know that there's opportunities here for electric trucks to absorb renewable energy, help to support the uptake of that. And that's a genuine benefit to the grid as well as the country more broadly. And also, you know, it's not so far into the future that these vehicles could provide some form of resilience and actually be providing energy back to the grid or back to the building. So I think we have to be much more strategic in our thinking around investing in charging infrastructure. And when we're having conversations with government, it isn't about just funding the plug at the end of the line. It's actually looking upstream and how do we get that revenue flowing so that it's not a significant burden for a operator with a depot wanting to take on 30 trucks. So look, some places, uh, you, you know, you would find would be able to accommodate it, but increasingly there are some challenges arising. And this is where, again, government has an important role to play. And these are investments. This is where, again, I think we have to change our mindset and not think about this as a handout or a subsidy. This is an investment today that will pay itself off multiple times over, over the coming decades. But we have to be willing to make that investment today. And I definitely think investment in infrastructure is a much wiser spend of government funds compared to maybe some of the other wild ventures we've seen in <laughs> recent years. Yeah, I think um, I, I was talking to someone actually that was probably on this very show where like that the opinion was there wasn't a, an actual lack of charging infrastructure as such even now. It's just that it's not always in the right spot. It's not always managed by the right people. It's like, so how do you build that, right? Because at the moment, and, and look, it is it has been a little bit like the Wild West and um, there's no judgment in that. I think it's just, you know, as things emerge, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, ways of doing it. And then we arrive at a point where actually this is how we should do it. But how do you build that? Yeah. So it's interesting reflecting back on a a project I was involved in maybe four, four years ago now, where we tried to design uh, a charging network for electric trucks in Southeast Queensland. And we were reasonably successful with the outcomes, but one of the really challenging issues we were coming up against is getting a realistic idea of the movement of the freight. And I think in the, in the freight industry, this is This is a difficult one on the data side because this is commercially sensitive information. There, rightly so, are some some issues around how that's shared and who has access to it. But I think, you know, the more we can have a conversation around how there could be some level of greater data sharing uh, in terms of what those movements look like in in real time uh, to a, a third neutral party that can then help to plan that charging network, that's that's really going to make a big difference to be able to locate the charging infrastructure in the right spots as opposed to almost guessing. And look, sometimes those guesses can be 
reasonably accurate, but other times they can be way off. And you're talking about a significant investment in this infrastructure. You want to have the best information feeding into the planning of it. So I guess that's a little bit of a call out maybe to, you know, smarter brains uh, in the industry to, to, to start to think through how some of that information um, that, as I said, is, is commercially sensitive that potentially could be shared to help inform that planning because uh, we are going to need that over the next uh, next decade to get a, a comprehensive charging network for trucks. Uh, mm, that's mm. that's required. Yeah, I think the other um, interesting part too, and and you know, part of uh, my remit is uh, is autonomous vehicles, and I think a really interesting conversation and kind of topic that's emerging is given that typically the utilisation of the road network of an evening or, you know, sort of after 9 or 10pm is so low is then how you can kind of pair electromobility and complete driverless vehicles to then actually move goods at a slower pace than you utilise lower energy, but you just have these, you know, really synchronised transport flows that 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 then you know lift some of that that daytime burden off the roads and then you know there's no requirement for drivers you're doing it in a safe way perhaps you know you've got physical barriers in place but uh, it, it kind of I, I think Jake lends itself to that that conversation around not just having the conversation around electric trucks but actually around mobility how you move freight generally speaking and and i think that that's a it's still a conversation that that needs to be discussed in some way shape or form and and, and kind of socialized because i think you know that there are significant opportunities given the drivers are so hard to get and and again you you, you can and, and we've seen the data in sweden you can you know drastically lower the consumption of the vehicles simply when you slow them down so and and again you you know create utilization of a road network which is incredibly underutilized of an evening and and i think this um you know sometimes can feel a little bit sci-fi but the reality is i, I don't think it's that far away it was it was funny my wife and I in Sweden a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting having a, a lunch break and, and charging the vehicle that we'd hired and a truck went past and I noticed it had all of these cameras around the front and then when I paid attention along the side said, I am an autonomous truck. And, you know, when you see something like that in like the wild almost, you're kind of taken aback and it took a, you know, a, a moment for me to register and in the time that took, I'd you know, couldn't get my phone out and get a get a, a photo, and I'm I'm still trying to track down what that was. So mm-hmm. somewhere in southern Sweden, there is uh, potentially this autonomous truck or trucks getting around. But That's I think you know increasingly the, these are things that are being deployed, um, particularly in other countries out on the road network. They're still going to take some time to develop and and be trained. But as you said, Paul, I think at the moment the way we run our network is quite inefficient. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of opportunity here to look through how we can increase that. And we, we didn't uh, touch on that yet, but this idea of curfews as well, mm. looking at the, the operating hours of trucks. In the first instance, even just with electric trucks, um, because of that lower noise, that does open up the operating window and it's a genuine incentive to make that switch. Um, but then increasingly then when you pair that with autonomous vehicles, you realise that, uh, yeah, you, you could significantly increase your your freight productivity and reduce that uh, congestion pressure around those peak hour um, periods, which people in cars don't like, but but also truck drivers don't like it anymore. So it's it's a win-win. 
Yeah, nobody likes sitting in traffic, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Especially because we all blame the traffic. And then uh, I think we were talking about this recently, but then we realised where the traffic is. It's everyone um, else's fault. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think, too, uh, just touching on that, I mean, I'm easily sucked in a sci fi wormhole when it comes to this sort of thing, too, because I suppose when we talk about the possibilities of what this some of these solutions can offer. Not, you know, and electromobility is probably just a part of it, but it, you know, the autonomy and everything else comes into it. And um, I feel like that even that from an infrastructure perspective, so we're talking, like when we're talking about charging stations, that's still pretty low hanging fruit compared to, I suppose, other possibilities around what does charging look like in the future? Like the moment we're talking about something that you pull up to and plug into, we already have solutions or seen solutions elsewhere where there can be something you, you park on top of. What is the potential for this to disrupt how we experience a city? Like, I mean, I think that's a really exciting space to sort of crystal ball gaze as well. Yeah, I, I think that we are going to see a split approach in terms of how we deal with our major highway corridors and then our more urban areas. And I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but I do think there are some genuinely exciting developments going on in the en-route charging space. So whether that be in the pavement or overhead or in a side rail, I think that there will, you know, there's there's still a lot of testing and and proving work to be done, but in some regions, uh, that is going to be the most economic way to decarbonize. And it starts to open up a whole range of new business opportunities, because if you have a network of effectively mobile batteries that are plugged into your grid, running around the country, all of a sudden you can decide whether you are charging or you might be selling a bit of electricity at the same time and it opens up, you're not just potentially a transport provider but also an energy provider. So this this thinking around these opportunities open up new business models and, and the economics can change quite significantly. That's, that's something that we're still coming to terms with, I think, but will unleash a whole range of different activities in terms of how you use your vehicle not necessarily trucks, but I can certainly see major disruption in the taxi ride-sharing space where at certain times of day, the fleet will be taken off the street and plugged in to the grid because they'll be making a greater revenue from that than from delivering passengers around a city. So, Again, I think we have to be aware there there is you know quite a bit of change. We don't quite know exactly how that is going to play out, but we should be prepared for it. And I think that certainly in the charging infrastructure space, I would be quite surprised if by 2050 uh, we still had most vehicles plugging in with a cable. I, I think things will look quite different. And that's not to say the investment today is not worth it. This won't happen tomorrow. So you've got to take it in a, you know, a stepwise approach, but things, things will continue to improve as will the technology itself. And, and who knows where that will end up? You know, it's pretty competitive right now. I can only imagine in 2050 what uh, an electric truck might be capable of. There any comments on that, Paul? Come on. You've oh, got look, the think, yeah, <laughs> good no, oil no. on that one. Yeah. Look, I, I, uh, the only thing I'll say is I agree. You know, I think even though, you know, we're seeing megawatt charging standards come in and, but I, you know, I think you're right, Jack. I, I think that opportunity, especially for on-route charging where you don't have such, where you have a more flexible window of, of not having to put demands 
on the grid in such a small window, I think is, you know, it's quite smart. And as, as Matt said, we've seen buses with pentagraph charging and all sorts of things. And, you know, we've seen concepts around the place, as you said, around, you know, road surfaces or when you, when you're parked at traffic lights and things like that, you know, with the, uh, I guess you call it touchless sort of charging, but, um, I can see a lot of entrepreneurial companies in the next even five to 10 years sort of coming to market with some really interesting concepts. And I think within the Volvo group, one thing that I'm really proud of within the group is we have this this mantra that partnership is a new leadership. The reason I like that is that we acknowledge that we can't, these challenges that we're, we're talking about, we can't solve them on our own. And, and, and we know that in some cases we're partnering with competitors. For example, if you look at hydrogen fuel cells. So I think as a company, we have such an open mind to this that if we really want to innovate, that some solutions will be developed in-house, but I think a lot won't. And I, I think inductive charging is a, a great example of that. So I'll probably wind this up with a final question what does the Australian transport landscape look like at the end of this decade? Uh, I'm deliberately taking it out a little bit further because I know things are happening very quickly, but, you know, um, what do you think uh, Australian transport looks like in 2030? Well, we the things we know, there's a 43% emission reduction target that's legislated that the government and the state and territory governments are committed to achieve. Now, in order to achieve that, even if you have pretty heroic assumptions for energy, agriculture, industry, and some fuzzy stuff around land use and the like, transport realistically minimum needs to reduce about 5 to 10%. Now, what that means for heavy vehicles is that as opposed to the current projection, which is about a 15% increase in emissions by the end of the decade, we need to be looking at a 15% reduction. So that's a 30% difference in where we're going to where we need to be. Now, that's not to say that that's where we will be, but that's just to set <laughs> the preface for we have a massive task ahead of us and this is not something that we can kind of sit on our hands right now. We have eight years to start to achieve that goal. And I'm not naive. I don't think we'll be able to achieve that, but we need to get as far along that journey as possible so that we set ourselves up for that next 20-year period out to 2050. So I would like to think that by the end of this decade, the use of electric trucks, particularly in your end of delivery uh, logistics, is going to be widespread and that we will have that as not only widespread, but the default choice uh, for operators. So very much the idea of purchasing a light or even a medium duty diesel truck by 2030, I think will be less common. Uh, there will only be some specific applications. The heavy duty space, I think that's where we're still going to be a little bit behind, but I'm hopeful that particularly on our kind of Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne route, we'll be at the point where you will will have uh, heavy-duty electric trucks deployed and they will be common enough that you'll see them while you're driving. So it's probably not going to be the default choice by 2030, but it's going to be a long way down that journey. So that's on the freight side. On the uh, the car side, I, I would like to think that 
the vast majority of new vehicles sold by 2030 are electric. Again, none of this can happen uh, with us just sitting on our hands and this is where government has a key role to play uh, together with industry in making it a reality. But we can't forget that at the end of the day, there are real humans driving these vehicles and they're going to need some help to make that shift. Fantastic. Any uh, final comments from you, Paul? I do have a comment and um, I think... Matt, when we think about heavy trucks, I think by the end of the decade, uh, in some segments that we're seeing now, you'll have an environment where instead of saying, why did you put an electric truck into that application? It'll be the opposite. I think you'll have operators asking other operators, why did you buy a diesel truck for that? Fantastic. Well, I'd like to thank you both for joining us. Um, and uh, we actually left Tim at home today because um, <laughs> he gets all fanboy when we talk about you. So <laughs> It's mutual, but it goes yeah, both yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. So, sure, sure. So <laughs> we would have just been throwing compliments yeah, at yeah, each other. Exactly. So uh, look, uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been a, been a great chat and um, I look forward to catching up again in the future. Yeah, no, thank you. This is such an excellent initiative by Volvo and uh, yeah, hopefully be able to join you again in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Emerging Possibilities. Send your comments, suggestions and questions to emerging.possibilities at volvo.com. And of course, remember to rate and review this show.